Welcome to another episode of Blazing Kruggles. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, are the best people on the planet, Anonymous, Alex, and Jenna. Uh-huh. How are y'all? Yep, 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 yep. Move along. Yep. And, and with us is our very special guest, one of the Guild of Granddaughters herself, Steph Crognola. How are you? I am so much better now that uh, this is the first podcast I've ever been on where, like, you didn't ask how to pronounce it before we went live, and you just nailed it, just like smooth as butter. Oh, it was so good. I'm so good. I am going to leave now. I peaked. <laughs> yep. I did everything that I could. It's it's over. It's all downhill from here. Yeah. Goodbye. That's 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 been the show, folks. <laughs> Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk about horses. We are excited for you to be here. Um, we were probably a little more excited before we read the book that you suggested. <laughs> okay, just okay. It's hard. It's hard to keep that level up after that. Listen, that okay. I just want to say I said it as a joke, and then Jenna was like, "No, that's fine." <laughs> And I was like, well, okay, you've talked me into it. We're doing that book. And she was like, I know what I'm in for. Uh, I think, Alex, you had also read it before. I had not, but I Um, accidentally read a review when I was buying the book. So I was like, okay, I know what I'm in for. Okay. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, no. If it makes you feel better, Tim, I also didn't the first time that I read it. So we'll we'll get into that for sure. Before we start talking about the book, I did want to mention, I, I was very proud of Blazing Gruggles, the title of the podcast. It was really good. Um, so good. I did have alternate titles lined up, a, a couple of which I want to mention because I was really super proud of those two. Give me, give me, um, give me, give me. Yeah. Um, the book we read tonight was by John Steinbeck. So, of course, one of my alternate titles was Of Mike and Men. <gasps> I know. It's so good, right? Yeah. Uh, but the the one that I was really like, this one almost became the, the episode title, Steph Up To The Streets. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. I, like it. Yeah. I know. I know. I was like, I, how can I not use this? Yeah. How can I not use Blazing this? Blazing Krug- Kruggles is really good, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you. I'm proud of you for that. <laughs> Hell yeah. So the book we read was The Red Pony by John Steinbeck. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, so, like, I'm used to the Horse Girls books that we've been reading, mm-hmm. and they're light and for children and mm-hmm. don't cause crises. Mm. This book was a little more, I'll say intense. Let's mm. say intense. Mm-hmm. There was a lot that happened in this book. Yeah. 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 Do you want me to get into it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's go ahead and, let's, okay. let's go ahead and start talking about it. All right, so little the little boy, Jody, uh, I just want to be very clear that he's a little boy. Uh, so when you say it's not for children, it's about a little boy. Yeah. And we yeah. know 
that he's a little boy because every time he's mentioned, he's referred to as the little boy Jody. <laughs> so just in case anyone was curious if this book was about a big boy Jody, <laughs> it's not. It's about the little boy Jody. So it makes me think that Steinbeck wanted like a sequel just called Big Boy Jody, but you know, it's not it's not that. This is Little Boy Jody. Um Little Boy Jody lives as all John Steinbeck characters do in the Dust Bowl of California uh in the 1930s or something. I didn't bother to look it up, but that's yeah. Um when it was bad. When things were bad. Uh but he seems to have a pretty nice little life on the farm with his his mom and his dad, who is only ever referred to by his full name, Carl Tiflin. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, little boy, Jody, <laughs> Carl Tiflin, mom, and then <laughs> Billy Buck, who is the coolest character John Steinbeck has ever dared to write. The only good trademark person that John Steinbeck has ever written into a novel or a, a book of any kind, as this is a collection of four like short stories that work themselves into a novella. So uh, Jody, little boy Jody lives on this this farm. Uh, there are there are horses. He has chores. You know, he's kind of eh about life until his dad gives him the gift of a red pony. Now, you might be thinking, oh, a red pony like a nice, sweet, like red, the red coat of, of a pony. Um, and you would be mostly right. Uh, but also, what else is, I'm just going to pull the group here. What else is red? Uh, I, mm, could it, mm, blood? Could blood. it be? Could it be? Could it be the blood yeah. red <laughs> of the pony? <laughs> Who, here's our, our spo- am I allowed to do spoilers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Do, mm-hmm. Does not make it. To the end of short story number one. (laughs) Now, short story number two, after, you know, after post Red Pony, um, we get to see a little bit more about the little boy Jody and how he's dealing with this loss, which is not very well. Um, And we get just a little bit more insight into their farm life. We have a visitor who um, steals an old horse because he's an old man. That's kind of the (laughs) summary of that one. Book three or story three, we've got a little bit more pony action and a lot more blood. Uh, the 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 baby pony does make it to the end of this short story, but nowhere is that horse to be found in short story number four. So we are left with our imaginations, dear listeners, of what became of that sweet little horse born at the end of book three. And then we get this weird ass fourth story about his grandpa who likes telling the same story over and over again and then feels bad that he gets called out on it the end (laughs) he gets called out on it he's like oh my existence is meaningless and i was like oh dear god (laughs) yeah oh can we whoa there's that line in the end of that when Jody is sorry, the little boy Jody is like, <laughs> I know how his insides feel. Yeah. Like I know that his yeah. insides feel small and empty or whatever. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so when the horse, I'll, I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain here. Mm-hmm. Um, when that horse was born, mm. it was not a 
fun event like it was in Saddle Club for us. Where it was like three little kids like watching the miracle. Oh no, this was Mm -hmm. so, 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 so bad. That that was the moment that I text the rest of the horse girls and said, what the actual fuck can we send a check on Steph? Mm -hmm. So... I, I was not prepared. <laughs> here is here is a thing that I will share with. Uh, let me give you some backstory on why this book is so important to me and my development as a human being. Um, and okay, so I was in like a gifted and talented program, as all anxiety-ridden adults mm-hmm. once yes. were. Um, and they were like, "Oh." Steph loves horses. She's a real horse girl because I was. I all all of my toys were horses. I got to ride a horse once and it was the best day of my life. Uh, I was I was really like that was going to be my life was I was going to ride horses in Minnesota. Um, And so (laughs) I uh, was given this book called The Red Pony. My teacher clearly had not read it. She just saw the title. I was in, I was the little girl Steph, the same age as the little boy Jody, 10 years old, when I read this book for the first time. Uh, And ever since then, I have carried a vendetta against John Steinbeck to the point where I have written my own short story. It's a science fiction tale about someone in the end of the apocalypse who goes back in time, who has found the source of all evil and sadness and loss of hope in the world. And the source of that is John Steinbeck. She goes back in time to kill John Steinbeck. Um, That's how much this book affected me. I didn't realize until I got it in the mail to read for this podcast that I had never read past the first short story. That was enough for me. Those buzzards were pecking out the eyes of the sweet little red Mm -hmm. pony. And I was like, goodbye. Mm -hmm. Had not. So I didn't even know short story number three with the birth of the pony. Didn't even I, didn't even know that part. I desperately want to read that story. Yeah, in which John yeah, Steinbeck is the root yes. of all, yeah. It's great. Please. I love it. You know what? You know what? This book. By the way, this super deceptive cover. Uh huh. Like I'm like, oh, it's how so cute! cute. Is this little red pony. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just like be even. Such a cute yeah, I was about to say, no, even the not. old cover is so cute. Yep, that's so, the old cover is the one I got, which my teachers clearly were like, "What oh, a cute little story about the little boy and the pony." So my question is, were they like that or were they like, haha, this girl really likes ponies. Wait, just wait. I bet she won't. <laughs> oh, no. You think it was like intentional? They I think everything teachers girls. do is intentional. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, that's a new level of me. <laughs> the idea that there is a story to follow up this story in which John Steinbeck is the root of all evil makes the 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 emotional lows of this story so worth it mm-hmm. yeah honestly like, that might be that might be the end because this book like the end of the book i was like what the hell yeah and it, it really just, it stops yes it just and that's the thing that so i uh we've established i hate john steinbeck i think of mice and men <laughs> is the like the most depressing book um i i'll get into my uh american dream english teacher uh spiel later on but I I have to admire his ability as a writer to just like make the most uncomfortable ending to an uncomfortable book possible. Like it is mm-hmm. the it leaves you oh, so yeah. unsatisfied in so many different ways. 
Yeah. It's 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 like the best way to say it. and then a bunch of more bad shit's going to happen. Like yeah. as unsatisfied yeah. with that ending as you as as grandpa is with his life. Boom. So yeah. good. Love it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you're welcome. But the horse stuff was much more like the people <laughs> stuff was uncomfortable. <laughs> the horse stuff was that that would have been traumatic. Yes. For mm-hmm. me at 10 years old. Like that's it was intense. It was so intense. Um, let's talk about Billy, though. What a oh, hero. Yeah. What a guy. When Billy... <laughs> what's his name? Carl Tifton? Tif- <laughs> yeah. it, uh, uh, when Billy yells at Carl uh, about the, the the boy getting mad at the vultures or whatever. Yeah. It's like, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Leave the kid alone. Let him, let him work his stuff out so he right. doesn't, you know... Start killing other small animals in very, very silly. Oh, which he does, except he very does. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> he is a little psychopath. The little psychopath yes. Jody. Yeah. I was like, easy, Dexter. Don't leave it in your lunchbox for your mom. Good grief. I thought oh, that man. part was funny. And I just love, I loved in that, like, and that's, again, I hate him. And appreciate the character building in that moment of, like, when he is promised uh, a new horse the fact that like he's too grown up to leave frogs in his lunch pail anymore like that one like moment of like oh that's that's little boy things i'm not a little boy jody anymore like it just is Mm -hmm. such a nice well-written moment of like character growth and i just think that's it's really cool to use such a small phrase like that there there really was a, a different idea of things back then it was like you're going to be 12 in a couple of years. You're pretty much a man now. And it's like, what? No. Yep. <laughs> he, he, he am small child. Yep. This is too much responsibility. For so him. much. But yeah, I just think Billy Buck is really cool. And yeah. the mm-hmm. uh, talk about character development, like the the pain at the birth of, of the, the new cult is um, like he made this promise and he still clearly oh, blames himself for the death of the yeah. red pony and like yeah. having to put down Nelly in such a traumatic way to save this cult, which like he would have he obviously it was foreshadowed two pages earlier. Right. Like mm-hmm. we knew something was going to bad was going to happen. But um, just the the trauma that he goes through and then like. Uh, I just yeah. Ugh. And the way he refuses to promise anything. Yeah. You know, he tried to promise yeah. it wasn't going to rain. Right. And then, like, it, it, even stuff that he is qualified to say stuff for, he won't, he won't, you know, put himself in that box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh, I forget his name. The older guy that just shows up. He's like, I was born here. Oh, yeah. I don't I'm think they give him a to... name. Oh, is that why I can't remember it? Okay. Um, oh, no, he does. Yeah. It's uh, Gitano. Yeah. Yeah. Gitano. Gitano. That's what it was. Um. Yeah, it was, it was what an unsettling event to have happen to you. And then the dad to just be like, yeah, old stuff should just get killed. Oh my god. Yeah. And I was like, dad. Uh, knock ex- it excuse off. me. Carl Tiflin. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Don't call him dad. <laughs> Is it Tiflin or Tifton? What the I think it was Tiflin. Tiflin, yeah. Tiflin, yeah. Mm. Carl Tiflin. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, love that yikes. he's saying all that and it's like, yeah, and yet you still have this old ass fucking horse. Right. Yeah. He, he stole an old horse to go kill the horse and himself with a sword. That's, and I'm like, Yikes. Do you think that's what he was going to do? I do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you really? I, you don't You don't think that he went and like lived in 
like the mountains yes. living happily ever after. Yep. Both him and the horse live forever. Mm-hmm. I think that. If that guy, if that guy went to go fight crime with his rapier, <laughs> oh. that's the ending that I want. That's the mm-hmm. ending that I need. That's the ending that's in my cryptid. imagination. And then you know, Carl Tiflin was like, "Let me check and make sure he didn't steal my guns." And I'm like, "Stop sucking! Yeah, just stop it." <sighs> Carl Tiflin is such a weird character because yeah. he just has no. It feels like he has no real touch with, like, the world around him. Like, he's so in his own head that he... It's not even like he's cruel. Like, he is cruel in a couple instances. But, like, he's not cruel most of the time. He's not kind. He just, like, is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and then until he absolutely crosses the line Mm -hmm. with his father-in-law, and then realize it has to backpedal. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I was just kidding. I mean, like, who no. who of us hasn't been there when we've said something <laughs> or sent a text message to the wrong person oh. that we're like, you know, talking crap about and we're like, oh, that went to that person. Well, I guess I'll die now. <laughs> like, we've all been Carl Tiflin. Oh, yeah. We, we <laughs> was are very relatable when he was like, Carl couldn't leave it alone. So he was like, did you hear me? Did you hear me? <laughs> I know that part. Did you hear what I just said? Uh, okay. Super, super unrelatable to me because the last thing I would want is verification. <laughs> like, oh, Tim. No, yeah, no, you gotta be put out be of your misery. You gotta just know nope. that you, they know and you know. Then you I can hide in the fact it. that maybe he didn't. No, because no. then every time I see this person from now on, I'm going to be thinking, they heard. They, they heard. Yeah. They heard. <laughs> yeah, you just have to address it head on. Yeah. Oh, no, not me. I would have I would have just like, well, got to go, and then slunk right out of the room and just hoped. <laughs> and just lived my life in a world where he didn't hear what I said. <laughs> What a, that's almost a, that's more fantastical than uh, Gitano and the old horse riding off to fight crime with the sword. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, it's like every, every other story has, half the stories have happy endings. Happy in the, the oh. <laughs> it's either a happy ending or a horse dies. The one where you, where you just. Where you kind of finish the story? Yeah, yeah, up, you feel, in, yeah, Joe, little boy Jody and his grandpa like uh, find new meaning in you know killing the mice and whatever. They have a bond, <laughs> and like grandpa realizes that he's got so much he does. You know what? I don't have to live in the past anymore. There's a future yeah. right in front of me, and he kind of like grows with the the spirit of the lemonade inside of him, <laughs> knowing that there is is hope. And beauty and 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 freedom in hitting hay bales with sticks and watching mice run <laughs> around. That was the part that took me the most out of the story, like that I could least relate to, was when he went into the kitchen. He's like, "Can I have a lemon to make lemonade?" And I'm like, "What? <laughs> Get and the Kool Aid mo- packet, like a normal human." <laughs> oh my god! But like, it's just to, I'm I'm gonna read. This is in public domain. Just the ending <laughs> of the book because it's so freaking weird. Uh. Can I have a lemon to make a lemonade for grandfather? His mother mimicked. And another lemon to make a lemonade for you? No, ma'am. I don't want one. Jody, you're sick. Then she stopped suddenly. Take a lemon out of the cooler, she said softly. Here, I'll reach the squeezer down to you. 
So what? <laughs> what? <laughs> that's it. That's the end of this four-section novella about pain and death and mm-hmm. blood and and age and and uh, no hope or future or yeah. I, d- I read it back. as like the mom realized that like one day it's like her mocking her son, her her everyone's mocking her dad, and she's gonna realize one day I'll be in this situation where they'll mock me. Maybe I'll just get him the lemon squeezer and be nice for once. Oh, I don't. Mm. Yeah, that Some was real not. Gross. No, I like I like that better than yeah. mine. Mine was oh, I'm just gonna stop. The bad shit doesn't stop coming, but I'm tired of talking about it. Was how I kind of read it. <laughs> Like he walks outside and Grandpa's dead on the oh. stoop. Oh, that was I mean, I was ready. What I thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it would have fit. It would have yeah. fit with the rest of the story. Yeah, I I did fully expect Grandfather to die. Mm-hmm. I also didn't think, and this is like seriously, I didn't read it in a way that there was anything else that Gitano was going to go do. Yeah, I didn't like. I I wish I had. I I would feel he, better about myself as a person if he'd have just taken the horse to go live out the rest of his days but he left his belongings he had nothing he left all his worldly yeah. possessions yeah. he had nothing except to come back the, to except for the well, sword the killing the, sword. the killing instrument yeah. yeah which i think it's also like a geez Kitano, you couldn't have like ouch no because his father gave it to him it was a symbolic death with the sword and uh-huh. he, like with the horse that he saw himself in old and useless that everybody mocked yeah, I but hope. what what if he what if he needed the sword to kill the you know the bears. animals that live in yeah bears a bear he's gonna kill a bear and live off it I've been watching a lot of alone uh, if you kill a bear you're set oh you can God. last a hundred days on that show I love that show <laughs> I fucking I think I do so well on that show. So Mike and I got into it over uh, like winter break and we watched two seasons in the span of like three days. And those are not short seasons. Like we just sat on the couch and watched alone. And the entire time we were like, we would die within. We would be the like five minute tap out. Uh, (laughs) Like there is no I'm watching the show and I'm like, they're just touching the trees. Can there are people who can just like exist in nature and touch it? Oh, that's like I mean I like would just die like full stop just standing. <laughs> yeah, I'd be walking around going, "Is this a spruce? Uh, I can't touch a spruce." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that show is wild. But that's what I imagine for Gitano. That's his. That's his future. He's living alone in the mountains and touching trees and having a grand old time. He's building a mud pit house. A rock mansion. Mine- Minecraft. Yep. <laughs> no, I, this is like the ultimate ink blot. Throwing sheep right into is. the lava. Like, yeah. They need to have everybody read that that one section of the the book, and then like, okay, what happens to Gitano? Okay, you're a good person. You have a good outlook on life. Not like Tim. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, Tim- funny. It's a it's a it's an ink blot test kind of that got me into this mess in the first place. Part of the test of the gifted and talented program was there was a uh, black dot in the middle of a page and you had to make art around it. Uh, any guesses mm-hmm. what I made? Seven year old Stephanie. The turtle that gets black you into hole. art school. <laughs> oh, Alex. Uh, no, stop! Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, the a literal black hole. <laughs> Like, oh my god, it's it's that's the weirdest. 
I don't Did know what you to do say. that. I don't know. I don't. What, know. I, don't. <laughs> I just thought, like, what makes sense for there's a hole on the paper. What would you make out of the black? Yes, hole? thank you. Yes. So <laughs> obviously, clearly, Alex is somehow quantumly entangled with seven year old Steph. Apparently. <laughs> All right, oh, speaking of depressing, do you guys want to know the parts where I knew the horses were goners in this book? Oh, no. You opened the cover. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> well, John Steinbeck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, the red pony. Yeah, that was the one I saw in the Amazon review. But the other horse, do you mm. want to know the time that I pegged that that one was not going to work out? Yeah. As soon as the mare started rubbing on the wood, I was like, okay, she is oh, a yeah. very insistent. This baby will not be carried to term. Like, she has yeah. an issue internally. Oh, so that was what I was like. (laughs) I don't know. Oh no! I don't know that having that kind of horse knowledge would have helped me in this story, or like if I'd have just known it was coming instead of. It could also be worms, like, but like there was an issue. (laughs) Just the repeated Billy, just ah, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. Oh. Like, oh, no. As soon as, like, it was literally like he stuck his hand in, he felt it, his face, like, froze. I was like, oh, that baby's not in the right position at all. Mm. Yep. Mm. Uh, yeah, and for people listening, it... Mm. <laughs> he does, I guess, what he has to to make sure the baby survives, but mm-hmm. it is as horrible as you would expect. I actually, oh, yeah. I have a question for Alex on this, or I guess Alex and Jenna on this, a horse question. Um, what is the other option? So, like, what is, what is the, is it let the, the colt die and the, like, Nellie would be fine? Uh, she might still not be fine, but you could, you could get the colt out. In a not pleasant way. Yeah, and it's like, it's this is the thing. Like, if it was a cow, easy peasy. You'd let the baby die, pull him out. But, like, horses mm-hmm. are a lot internally more delicate. So, like, yeah, they might be able to get the colt out without killing her. But it's in risky. Yeah. 2023, not necessarily in 19. Well, that's the other thing, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. If that's if yeah. it's not a, a guarantee now, I mean, it's certainly. Sure. Well, so that's kind of what I was curious about, because like Billy's promise aside to the little boy, Jody, that he would get a good, healthy coat, uh, colt, that's if the horse is the wrong way around, like there is basically no saving Nelly in 1930, whatever, Dust Bowl, California. So like, like yeah, keep I, trying I kinda, to like reach and like rearrange, but like if the baby was completely turned around, like yeah, that's yeah. Not, that's how oh. I kind of read it. I don't know if you read it the same way, Steph, but I read it as um, it's going to be one or the other, and I'm going to pick the colt because that's, I yeah. promised the colt was that was how yeah. I read. I don't yeah. know if that's accurate or not, but that's the way it. Came yeah, across. I think that's yeah, accurate. That's how but I then the colt was born blind anyway, so like there was already like that colt was never going to be okay. Yeah. Excuse you? Yeah, yeah, that his navy blue eyes. He was born Excuse blind. Excuse you? Yeah. Is that a is that a thing that I should have caught that I didn't I thought they were eyes? cool yeah. eyes. That's what I thought too. I thought <laughs> it was Dune Spice Eyes. 
Nope. Oh, I didn't catch that either. Is this that why he's works? not in the fourth story? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have so many reasons why he's not in the fourth story. Do you want me to lay out all the reasons I think he's not in the fourth story? A little, story? yeah, but like also a little not. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold it. No, tell me. <laughs> Rip like, banding. <laughs> it's it's already that it had medical issues. It was already in breach, which means it had something else going on. I think the mare had issues in and of herself. But then, like getting the colostrum into the foal, if they didn't milk that mare, which they he destroyed her stomach, so I don't know if no. the milk was okay. If they didn't get that colostrum in that baby, he's within twenty four hours getting full scours, and he is diarrheing himself to death. Mm-hmm. There's there's no way that baby lived. I no. just. The way you just threw that in there, like, yeah, I was born blinded. I'm like, how did I miss that? Yeah. Because they didn't say it. Right. They 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 didn't, because John Steinbeck is too too busy showing off his horse knowledge. (laughs) He's too busy, like, saying, like, oh, look, I know things about horses that, like, oh, my smart readers will get this, but I don't, I'm not going (laughs) to spell it out to the dumb ones. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give the the stupid horseless readers the satisfaction of knowing that this horse is going to die Anyway, I'm just not going to put him in the fourth story. We're going to kill off Grandfather, too. We're just killing him. I hate John Steinbeck. (laughs) I don't think anything has ever been more apparent, actually. He's Stephanie Meyer, the horse. Oh, no. He killed the horse off page. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we got to see most of the action, though. I mean, that's true. That's true. There was way more way more than enough. this book had way more blood than any twilight book ever that's true yeah that's accurate mm-hmm. which is amazing for a vampire yeah. book versus <laughs> a child's pony story <laughs> oh man i just I was this was this story intended to be read by children because i did also read it as a child uh for the accelerated reader program and I just can't believe that it was on the list of things that children could read for points. Okay. So so this book, the first copyright date is in 1933. Uh-huh. That sounds right. So I got to assume it was made for what we would, by today's standards, call kids. What they call young adults. <laughs> <laughs> At like eight in 19. Like, you're old enough to work. <laughs> you can work in the mines. You can read yeah. a John Steinbeck novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess they just didn't up the the age requirements since 1930. I don't know. You know what's something that I find really interesting, though? Um, have you all read Of Mice and Men? Oh, yeah. In high school. So In high school. Yeah. It's not clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... I I've, I taught high school for a long time, and I taught a lot of um, juniors, so that's usually when, it's usually the American lit year, it's usually when they read Gatsby and Of Mice and Men, mm-hmm. and it is so funny to me how much kids love Of Mice and Men, I think because Steinbeck is a very straightforward author, um, and they hate Gatsby because Fitzgerald is very flourishy and and gilded and whatever and it's always the most fun to blow their minds at the end of the year when i tell them that they've just read the same story twice that they just read two different books about the american dream being dead with no hope and no like uh nothing good will ever happen to you 
uh, the American dream doesn't exist and you're never going to be successful in life or love. But just one of them has a lot of gold. And the other one has a lot of dust. And like, it's the same book. Yeah. So uh, tangentially related to that, um, one of my good, good friends has a 12-year-old daughter. And his 12-year-old daughter is one of the coolest people on the planet. Um, talks to me all the time about the movies that she's seen. She just read The Great Gatsby and absolutely loved it. And it blew my mind. Because I could not imagine at 12 years old reading that story and being like, man, I loved that. Yeah. I mean, I did uh, because my mom was like Fitzgerald obsessed. So it's like a genetic thing, uh, <laughs> I <Nice>. think. Um, <laughs> but I like, I think that, like, I want to say that books like this are geared towards kids because of the simplicity and language which is what what got me started on that like which is why I think a lot of my students really responded positively to of mice and men where they didn't to Gatsby because Fitzgerald was not writing for children he didn't give a shit about the children <laughs> no he was like he was that uh that uh what is it Michael Jordan meme fuck them kids <laughs> that's Fitzgerald oh, um but a story like this very well could have been written for kids and that carries through in its like simplicity of plot. Yeah. Like of Mice and Men does. I don't know why, but you saying simplicity of language hurt my feelings. <laughs> I feel like that was an actual attack on me. Oh, no, it wasn't. Like, we read my Get him. I know. Get him. <laughs> I know. I'm like, like, this is pretty much my reading level. Fuck the, them, the Tim. YA. <laughs> My lap oh, is swearing on this show. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was another thing. Mike actually said that. that Mike, on, on, I think it was on an edition. He was talking about how ska music was the equivalent of a what happens in a, in a boy's brain when he gets, a 13-year-old boy's brain when he gets mozzarella sticks. And I was like, that <laughs> attacked me on so many levels. <laughs> Not 13-year-old me, current me. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty yeah. much how I live my life. Honestly, Just a 13 year old boy getting mozzarella sticks. Does most not. Of the time. I want to say nobody voted for mozzarella sticks in that poll today. <laughs> nope, that's true. So that's true. That's where we are. The one where I learned that there is a human on this planet that doesn't like mac and cheese. Today oh I learned. Listen, he's really handsome. So <laughs> leave him alone. You know what? That was the other thing you said uh, in that that it was a it was a picture about like which food had to go and it's like grilled cheese and cheese fries and like that kind of thing. Uh, and then you made a comment about how nacho cheese yeah, uh, is, is terrible. And I was like, yeah, but nachos are great. Nacho so, cheese is terrible. Like well, I like the, you go to restaurants and they give you the nachos that has the shredded cheese on it. No. And that's glorious. No. The nacho cheesy that's, stuff. I that's, don't, that's the bad kind is the one no, with the shredded that's the cheese. Good kind. No, I need that, that, that goopy it? sauce. Ew. Uh, the stuff that yeah, comes I out need of that pan. processed wave. Yeah. Hey, See, listen, that's me with listen the craft macaroni and cheese. Listen to me right now. This is, this is tangential to horses. What color is milk? White. Okay. So what color? Mm, let's stop there. What is cheese made out of? Milk. What color should cheese be? So... The only uh, difference between answer the, the question, Jenna. Between answer the question is coloring. Absolutely, right. right. I you don't think care the little boy Jody's going to look at a lump or of yellow. Yellow cheese. I just like it. No, absolutely not. No, ew, gross. Love if it. We are. 
watching a high school debate team, I'm, I can't argue with anything that Steph just said. <laughs> ding, ding, yeah, ding. but I'm watching the debate while eating whatever cheeses I want <laughs> in my bare hands. Right. Yeah, I'm cracking that can wide open myself. Uh huh. <laughs> Straw on the top of the cheese. That's right. <laughs> Actually, I think the last time we went to a hockey game, it was either Alex or her husband Scott that got. The the cheese the processed cheese nachos mm, that was Scott. And they, they did so smell glorious good. with their jalapenos in them. Oh, so jalapenos. good. Yeah, this I'll is like worry kind of about what it does to anyway, me later. I can't have corn chips. Oh no! So like I can't eat nachos, which is really why I like yelling about uh, how much <laughs> how bad they are. Can you uh, can you have pepperoni? <laughs> yes. Air fryer pepperoni. Get them crispy. Nachos amazing. Ooh. Okay, so one of my favorite things was mm. one of my friends showed me this. You take some shredded mozzarella cheese and you put it in a waffle maker and then you put pepperoni and then you put shredded cheese on top of it and then you do like just a couple minutes in the waffle and they make like these, you know how you get that awesome burnt edge of a cheese uh-huh. thing that's mm-hmm. like the best mm-hmm. thing? It's mm-hmm. like those, but like a whole snack made out of it. Oh my huh. God. And I could have ate them until I died. My friend oh, just goodness. made hamburger buns out of like shredded cheese in a waffle iron and and, and and french fries and i was like bitch what no hold on yeah that sounds glorious yeah huh. they looked amazing so i'm gonna have to try that soon uh yes please <laughs> <laughs> uh my address is <laughs> <laughs> no we have a strict no doxing policy on the show anymore yep. oh, apparently shoot. thanks yeah, to steve it <laughs> <laughs> was right. established a whole episode ago Oh, no. <laughs> it has been one episode since doxing. <laughs> it's been zero episodes since someone <laughs> going to have to reset the counter on the wall now. Right. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so, Alex. Set. Okay, so I don't have a horse term. Okay. What I have is a question. When a horse comes out with blue eyes, it's blind? Most most animals that come out with light blue eyes or like navy blue eyes are, are blind. Yeah. Not all. I is thought. This, is this? Go ahead. What? No, no, no. Is this like a known thing? Everybody knows this. Like, am I just learning this? Apparently. Is it also Never like happens. like puppies when they're born they're blind because they can't open their eyes or whatever? They. I mean, they are born with like or squirrels. That- no, yeah. I think puppies are that way too. I don't think puppies. I don't think their eyes open they're, for a few days. Or they're something. born. Yeah. Blind, yep. Yeah, and so are squirrels. And then okay. when the when the blue milkiness starts to like go away from their eyes, then they can start seeing things. Well, then why not horses? Because <laughs> they're prey animals that are born yeah. to run within fifteen minutes of birth, so they have to have full ocular acuity. Yep. Oh no. Well, like an hour, fifteen minutes. Is yeah, I don't fast. Like. An hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just the way you just casually dropped that on the podcast, it kind of like blew me away. So. I thought we were yeah. all on the same page. No. I'm sorry. Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> it makes me wonder what other things happened in this book that I just glazed right through and they were all so awful. I just Honestly, didn't, same. Didn't know enough to catch it. I did when I was reading it, though. I was like, man, that would be cool if there was a horse with like navy blue eyes if it didn't mean yeah. that they were blind. Yeah. I, I sincerely was confused in the last story why we weren't talking about 
the cult. I wanted to know for sure what happened. I just thought, like, I didn't even think about it. Like, it just wasn't story relevant. So it was probably just hanging out in the barn. Just grandpa didn't need to know where that horse was at. And I guess you've established like so much of your mental, like how things work from video games. Like he is not here. He is safe point in barn. (laughs) We'll get back. Yeah, but Jody only kills small animals when he doesn't have a horse to play with. Good point. No. I am an NPC. You you are (laughs) not an NPC, Tim. Oh my God. I am an NPC. Until you appear in the Zoom call. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is so... I like I knew it was a sad book, but like I thought it was the one pony and I thought that was the whole novel. Like I really because like 40 pages of a story to a a 10 year old is is a lot longer than it is to me now. So I really like I really thought it was that one narrative. Um, You know, even even at that, like when I picked up the book, I thought it was one story also. But the first thing I noticed, I'm like, man, this short, short story. Even if it was just one, it would be small. The idea of fitting four in here, yeah. I didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Alex. Yes. Now that we've now that we've talked about this Steinbeck novel, how are you going to lift us up with some horse news? I, yeah, I have such make a good, good news. Oh, it good. Is, this one's finally good. Uh, <sighs> most of the time, I've been working on doing better. Um, so, there was some horses in England that were just rescued out of a field of just detritus, they had been abandoned. And it was a mom and its foal, and they rescued them, okay? This is, it's good now, they rescued them. And this foal, who had never been handled, they realized that he had something wonky going on with one of his feet. So when they finally got them to a place where like they corralled the mom, the baby followed, they sedated the baby, and it was a tin can, and it was actually two of them, and they were able to cut it off, and they've named him Tintin, and he's now at the rescue and doing very well. Oh my goodness. have a, Tin can in his foot. It, he had stepped on it, and it had like oh. gone around his foot. Oh, two okay, of them, okay. like they don't, they're like okay. we don't even know how he got two of them, but he got them on his foot, and then it, like as he was growing, it was like growing into oh. the can. Oh my gosh! I would die for Tintin. Yeah, he's adorable. Right? I love him. Can... He's just self shoot. He kind of, sort of. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's a big tin can too. Yeah. Yes, it is. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I love this horse so much. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He's very cute. That poor baby. What an angel. That is good news. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> The horse lives in this one. (laughs) Just imagine if Galliban had gotten a tin can around his... Billy Buck would have taken care of it. Billy Buck would have, yeah. 100%. Do you you know the other... No. Not more. No, this is where she tells us what the dark news was. Oh, no. Strangles is a respiratory transfer, so one of the other horses was shedding it at the barn, so no one's safe oh, forever. Oh no, no! <laughs> do do you remember? It wasn't that? because of the rain. That up. No, <laughs> no, it was because the horse had had the strangles. strangles. 
Oh. I just thought the strangles was like a cold. No. Nope. It's a pustule infection that travels up their throat and suffocates them with like infection. Damn it, I knew that one too. I'd learned that one yeah. on this show. And I didn't put it together that it was a I know. Oh no. <laughs> I'm you're sorry. A, you're a monster, Alex. It wasn't even right Billy now. Buck's fault. It wasn't no. at all. No. And he took a hammer to Nellie's head because he felt so guilty about yeah. something that he couldn't even control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need a nap. <laughs> and yeah, an out, adult. Out pop. <laughs> Want our pop. Wow. <laughs> Steph, you're supposed to be the adult. No, Who's I decided. I I heard and uh, <laughs> wow, flattered. Um uh quite surprised. <laughs> Almost as surprised as you'll be when you get a call from the hospital for any one of us. Yeah. <laughs> you are now the emergency contact. Congratulations. <laughs> great. Great. Great at emergencies. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So you said you grew up a horse girl. Yeah. Well, I think it's time we test your horse girl knowledge. Mm-hmm. Good. Great. It is the red pony and then it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> because I wouldn't let myself. I think... Ow! Mm. Oh, no. I feel like, so my particular brand of anxiety is that, like, everything around me is going to die. Like, that's just kind of how I live my life with that, like, always in the back of my mind. It's a super stressful way to live. Anyone have any tips getting rid of that? You just let me know. Um, But I'm wondering if maybe this is, like, some sort of turning point for that. Because it was soon after this that my, like, obsession with horses kind of faded away because what's the point in loving something so deeply if it's only going to die jesus john steinbeck (laughs) i mean he is the root of all evil he is he is okay wow so if we're gonna talk i uh, first of all i don't i couldn't boil my anxieties down to (laughs) just like one particular brand but i did realize one that i have today that i i honestly think i might be the only one on the planet who has to deal with this one probably not it was raining in Georgia today, so I'm driving with my windshield wipers on, and then as I drive further, it's raining not as much, and then it eventually stops raining or becomes that little fine Oh, mist, I want right? to... Can I complete your sentence? <laughs> I can I com- you can. Can I complete no, your no. sentence? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't think Black you'll get hole. where I'm going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And then you get anxiety because your windshield wipers are going too fast and you're worried everybody else is going to notice how fast they're going. I am not the only person who deals with this, Alex. <laughs> I had to, I'm like, I have never once noticed how fast anybody else's windshield wipers are going, but I just assume that everybody else on the road is like, this windshield wipers Judging are going you. way too fast. For, yeah. Yes. For the, for the amount of rain. Oh, okay, you're not so alone, I'm not Tim. Doing, no. Oh, oh, my people. <laughs> Not by a long shot. <laughs> Some real wiper envy happening. I, this this episode. Oh my is god! Just, I feel like a better human now, just getting that <laughs> off my chest and knowing that other people deal with that one. Yeah, I am on like obsessive like uh, wiper adjuster. 
Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I to the mm-hmm. point where I'll like, uh, you know, like if you push it down, it like manually pushes yep. them. Mm-hmm. I will just keep it and I'll keep my finger on it. And so like I get to decide <laughs> how often my wipers go. That's on me. I have full control. <laughs> I've done that for probably 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. driving where I'll just do it myself yeah. because I don't want to put it on and have somebody think that I'm doing the wrong speed. It's like any group project of ever. I, let me just do it myself. <laughs> so M. Swan, like literally not that long ago said, just so you know, all of us are all the people that led the group projects and just said that we're going to do it because no one else yep. can do it. And now we've all come together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. I love it. I love it. I just had that thought today. I cannot believe there are other people who have even, like, entertained that as a thought. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Were we I all in it. accelerated reading programs? As yeah. <laughs> it was called Mile at my school. Ooh, okay. It's the gifted program. Yeah. That's the gifted and yep. talented was, was mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. I think it had a fancy name, but, like, I don't I don't remember. I don't remember a lot besides this I don't book. Know. <laughs> I do remember that my older sister had to take the test like six times and her teacher was like, we promise she's gifted. And that they were like, test says no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I took it the and passed it the first time. <sighs> so have I held that over her head for mm, let's count 31 years? Yes, I have. Hell yeah. Cold, That's baby. how you should. <laughs> Okay, Jenna. Yes. Are you ready? I uh, maybe. So I Let's only see. I only picked three. So you guys are. It's okay. Hopefully, one each. Who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's get to it, though. Okay. Horse number one was a champion New Zealand-bred thoroughbred racehorse who is widely regarded as New Zealand's greatest racehorse ever. Gerard Butler. No. Sea Biscuit. No. Just <laughs> fucking watched a movie on this. You probably did. A few fucking weeks ago on Netflix. God fucking damn it. He was like the village's hope, right? Like all the village came together to buy him. Equus. Oh, no. Is that a Hyundai? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The Hyundai Equus. (laughs) I said all the horse names I know. (laughs) Just hang on to them. You never know, they may come up. Just keep saying them. Yeah, don't worry. I will. (laughs) Achieving incredible success during his distinguished career, his initial underdog status gave people hope during the early years of the Great Depression. God damn it. I didn't watch a movie on this, but I feel like I should know it. (laughs) John Steinbeck. No. John Steinbeck, the pony. Did not give anybody hope. Oh, man. If anybody ever knew their pony, John Steinbeck, I would probably stab them right in the face. Yes. I'd be like, why are you cursing this animal? Right. No, yeah. Uh, I got nothing on this one. He won the Melbourne Cup, two Cox Plates, the Australian Derby, and 19 other wait-for-age races. He won two what? Cox. Two Cox. Yeah. Cockatoo? Cox Plates. Yeah. Two plates full of cocks. <laughs> Doesn't sound like something you win. It sounds like something you're given for being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Isn't something? Isn't something you win literally just something you're given? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
God damn it. Huh. <laughs> Alex has been on this quest to, to, to defeat me. <gasps> okay. At but, every turn. But wait, though. Hold on. No, I'm going to defeat Alex. Give me a second. Okay. okay. <laughs> I have never won anything that I didn't have to pay to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't have gotten so it. So I if bought you my won. prize. Yeah, no, but, Jenna, I, but I won my heart. Oh. There you and go. I've received no compensation. Oh. I'll get oh. on that. I'm sorry. I'll step up my game. I'm, I'm just saying. You're going to start getting like non sequential $1 bills in the mail from unmarked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my address is. <laughs> Dude, I got a wildlife Reset survey the in the mail the other day, and it had just a dollar bill in it. And I was like, is this legal? No, that's a bribe. That's so weird. <laughs> you got that in the mail? Yeah. That's really weird, because I got two plates of dicks. <laughs> for free. You didn't even have to pay for it. <laughs> oh, just man. a picture of a black hole that somebody <laughs> Oh, it was logical. I wish, I yes. wish that we. I wish that that I could share with the world the look on Steph's face when Alex said "black." I We're know. recording it. You can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you literally can do that. Oh man! Whew. Technology. All right. <laughs> is it? Who is this horse? Yeah. Who is this horse? Yeah. Um. One of no, his greatest yeah, we performances was winning the Agua Caliente Handicap in Mexico in track record time in his final race. Yeah, I'm going to have to look this Clever up. Clever Hans. It's not Clever Hans, but I love that you said that. Smart, Smart the wrong Gretel. Joe. <laughs> yeah, there we go. After a sudden and mysterious illness, this horse died in 1932. I had to bring it down. I'm so sorry. Now they're in California. At the time, he was third highest stakes winner in the world. His mounted hide is displayed at the Melbourne Museum and his skeleton at the Melbourne or at the Museum of New Zealand. And his heart is at the National Museum of Australia. Smart Alec? Gal- Galavan Mountains. <laughs> That's, what? what did you say, That's Alex? Smart Alec? Nope. <laughs> Smart Alex. No, <laughs> with a C. All right. Are you guys, do you want to go to Google? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Let's do it. And go. Far lap. Yeah, get it. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. If there's Ooh. one thing that uh, my Shakespeare podcast has taught me, it's how to Google quickly. Because when a guest is like, argue for this character, and I'm like, damn, if I haven't read that play ever, <laughs> and I'm like, who is King John? And then I like edit out all of my little like Google Googling, uh, but I'm like, oh yeah, King John, I know that bitch so well. <laughs> so I am, I have a, I have a special set of skills for Googling Hell quickly. Yeah. You guys are going to win this whole quiz. <laughs> oh, I just man. have to beat Tim. <laughs> Also, can I know everyone's Google search? Because that's curious mm-hmm. to me. Two-time Melbourne Cup winner. Mm. New Zealand racehorse Great Depression. Uh, I said famous New Zealand horse heart on display. Oh, that's oh, good. Oh, that's a good that's one. Good. Yeah. Really, I wrote Fasmu <laughs> Ew Zealand horse heart on display. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> it got it. Counting. It got you there. 
Yeah. Yeah, mine did not. I got like six horses. None of them were the right one. Oh, I got the right <laughs> one. All right. Are you ready for horse number two? Yes. So ready. Maybe. This this story details the life of a horse in the western United States from his birth to his eventual decline. Hidalgo. No. I, I, sea biscuit. I, no. Smoky. Equus. Alex? Yeah? <laughs> yes. Yes! What? Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> what did you say? Smoky? Smoky? Yeah. He's a bear. The yeah, that's horse. what I was thinking. Damn Damn horse. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Wow. I, that, I damn. Damn. Yeah. I was ready for that one. This is, I have this a few is my horses life, left Steph. in my brain. <laughs> Not many, but a few. That was amazing. Just so excited. Hell yeah. I'm impressed. All right. Horse number three? Yep. Horse number three is a Shire horse who is a princess's faithful companion in a 2012 Disney Pixar film. What is the tangled horse's name? I don't Philip, know. Philip. Philippe. It's... Philippe? That Philippe is Belle's horse. Oh. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, Alex was doing a Jeopardy thing. Haven't no, you already I've literally done this question? Someone, I've never seen this movie. Hmm? I've never seen Tangled. I feel I like you've already done this question. This? No, it was Maximus was yeah, the one Maximus that we did. Yeah, Maximus was the one we did. Yeah, that, that took us that, forever. That I thought Jenna was going to legitimately murder one of us. Yeah. And oh, where was Maximus from? Rapunzel. Tangled. Rapunzel mm-hmm. is yeah. Tangled. It's not Tangled. It's it's the with the bow and the oh, Meredith. Mer- oh, Merida. Brave. Got it, got brave? it. Merida. Brave. There we go. What is the horse's name? I've never seen it. Mick Horse. Mick Horse. <laughs> Mick Horse. She didn't say wrong. <laughs> right, is that it? It's not. It's, it's not my course. Get it? It's oh no. Is it brave? Is that? Are, are we right there? You is are. That... You are right there. Yeah. Okay. okay. So okay. if you just like start saying Scottish names, yeah, what I is, can what is, see. What is her name? What is Merida. Merida. Yeah. Merida. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And her mom is Queen Emma Thompson. That's right. <laughs> That's hundred percent it. Yeah, Sean. Is that? I think um, Sean is more is Gerard, Irish. Is Gerard Butler honestly, actually Scottish. I don't know where he's actually he's from. Irish. Irish. Okay. Gerard. Uh, sorry. Have I guessed Equus yet? <laughs> I think you should try again, just to make sure you've covered it. Yeah. Yeah, just one more time. Equus. No. Oh well, shit. <laughs> I feel like you were on to something that time, though. Yeah, yeah, I really, fe- I felt it. McDougal? No. Um. Was that a Scottish your way off no or your close no? It was a way off no. Oh, Is okay, it like okay. a Scottish first name? Yes. Um, that doesn't help me because I don't know what it's Scott. Okay. Donald. <laughs> no. I wish his name was Scott. That would Donald be great. is a good. That's a good. Yeah. Guess. Yeah. Uh, Siobhan. Oh, that's very interesting. Good. Yeah. And that's Irish also. That's not even Scottish. I'm going to name everyone in Scotland that I know. Oh, do it. Keeper Willie. Rob. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sarah. No. Huh. I'm loving it. I'm done. I'm, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Clayton. No. John Clayton. Um, 
Sorry. Yeah. I have Tarzan mm-hmm. on the brain for like ever now. Black as night with an ivory muzzle and fetlocks. This horse is Merida's most trusted confidant. Jenna, I know what the horse looks like. I know. I'm just going <laughs> to keep going until you can come up with the name. Like, unless it's, unless that's a clue. No, it's just a very Scottish name. Uh, what is a, oh gosh, uh, what's that movie where they go to, ooh, A Castle for Christmas, I think, takes place in Scotland. <laughs> Carrie Ells is in that. Is it Carrie Ells? It's not Carrie Ells. Can you imagine if Disney named a horse? That would be hilarious, <laughs> and I hope that they do one day. Oh, no. Highlander? Was he Scottish? In fact. Okay. Mel. Highlander's name? Gibson. <laughs> Wasn't it like the same fucking name? Like William Wallace? <laughs> oh, William's a good guess. Yeah, William. William. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> oh my god! I just watched Brave, and by just I mean like a year ago. <laughs> oh no, Scotland. Um, r- r- did we already say Ronald? What am no. I? Th- Macbeth. Duncan. Is it Duncan? It's not Duncan. Malcolm. No. Donald Bain. No. Lady Macbeth. No. Seward. No. Ross. No. That's friends. Um, old Seward. <laughs> no. Which one? Young Seward. Which two? No. Which number three? <laughs> it took me a long time to get which one. I thought you were asking a question. <laughs> I was like, which one what? <laughs> oh, gosh. What are all of the Lord's names? Lennox. No. There is an Australian musician that has this first name. Sting. Not Yanni or Sting, no. Is Yanni Australian? I don't know where Yanni is from. I love Yanni. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Australian musician. So is it Australian or Scottish? Scottish, but I was just trying to give you another hint to get you there. Australian. What does the Australian musician play? Guitar. That's the one with Wolverine. Hugh. Yeah, Hugh. <laughs> Hugh Jackman. Is the horse's name Hugh Jackman? <laughs> I hope it is. <laughs> I need it to be now. Oh. <laughs> Alistair. No, Ooh. that's a good one though. That's a good one though. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Actually, I'm gonna name my horse Alistair yeah. whenever I write my novel. Yeah, it's a good horse name. Good, strong. Yeah. Yeah. strong Benjamin. Name. The the Australian uh, uh, musician that I mentioned was born in Scotland. He was born in Glasgow. Oh, that's that's helpful. And some might say that he's done many dirty deeds. Uh, Patrick Swayze. No, it's it's ACDC. Uh, 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 Angus. Ah, uh, yeah, Tim, get it. Ah, uh, there we go. It's Angus Young. That's that a freaking name in Macbeth! And I didn't even... <laughs> what? It's what I was just listing all of the character names in Macbeth, and I forgot about the one that was the answer. I'm so mad. <laughs> oh, no. 
Jenna, you did a really great job facilitating that quiz. Please don't let my anger and frustration right now keep you from thinking otherwise. I get very competitive. I love the idea of rage disclaimers, and I think we should all do that. Stupid anger. This is the first time that I think we've had like a three-way split, though. That's... Yeah, oh, high, that's true. high fives. Nice yeah. job. Nice job. It's your high you 15 there. Yeah, we all stand <laughs> in a circle now and touch hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Stupid. Uh. Steph, thank you for hanging out with us. Um, where can people find the other things that you're doing? Um, you can find me at P2M Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, and then at Kruggles uh, on Twitter for non-Shakespeare related things. I mean, my TikTok isn't Shakespeare anymore. It's just salads. I've found myself in a world of salads that I can't get out of. So I don't, I don't even know who I am anymore, but you can find, find it there. Just your fucking disappointment every time they put something in that you can't have is just, it's palpable. I can feel it in my soul. Um, Thank you guys so much for having me on. No, it was great Thank having you. you. And I'm so I do, sorry. I do. I, <laughs> y'all gotta, y'all gotta go hang out at the bar for a second because I gotta talk to the listener for a second. Um, okay, all right, we're we're gonna go to the bar and get a drink. Okay. Okay. Also, if y'all aren't listening to Adventure Inc., you're doing it wrong because it's fantastic and it's one of my favorite things. Also, you should maybe think about that Adventure Inc. Patreon because there's a game on there that Steph runs and it was fantastic. Okay, y'all can come back now. Oh, I'm say. back. What did you talk about? Hi, what's up? <laughs> Mac and cheese. <laughs> All I know is I had five shots and I'm ready for that 27-pound mac and cheese tub from Costco. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds so good right now. The five shots and also the mac and cheese. <laughs> um, you know who doesn't eat mac and cheese, Alex? Who? Man, they're getting worse. My segues are getting worse. Uh, the horses in <laughs> our barn. Right. Don't <laughs> call you the Paul part of podcasting. Now do they, Tim? <laughs> they absolutely do. <laughs> Luckily, they do call me the Paul Blurt of podcast. Welcome to our metal horse barn, where we have Moose Shaw McGraw, Big Thick Martingale, and Beta Ray Philly. From Nate, we have Hot Lava SpaghettiOs. From Stevie Lake's boyfriend, Philip D. Keating, we have Iron Meriden. <laughs> Anonymous Steve has Dale Donuts Third. Matt Elman, Dime Bag. Songheart Brother, Silver Flame. And Scott has Ronnie. Those are our metal horses in the barn. Ooh, two metal Ronnies you? in a row. Dang. Two metal Ronnies in a row. I'm feeling Moving generous up. with my time <laughs> and energy. If you want to find out more about our metal horses in the barn, you can do that at singlethoughtconnection.com, T-H-O-T. But more importantly, this brings our podcast to an end, similarly to the way John Steinbeck has ended all of our fucking hopes and dreams and the world, I think. Rips. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening to Horse Girls. If you want to know when new episodes are posted or share your observations of this positively academic podcast, follow us on Facebook at Horse Girls Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Horse Girls Cast. If you want to buy some radical shirts and things, visit DuckDuckJenna.com, America's favorite search engine to search for one thing, Horse Girls merch.
want to take our relationship to the next level. We've already talked about this, Alex. Get it the fuck together. Change your outro. Do it better. Why are you like this? You're right. <laughs> Moving better. on. If you want to find us on other podcasts, you fucking can. If you like D&D, check out the Botch Podcast or Dungeons and Draken Beams. If you like Animorphs, check out Animorphs Anonymous. And if you are betwitched by Jenna, like I am, check out Jenna's Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash Jenna Chill with one singular L. The second L, Google it, motherfuckers. You'll find out. Get on that shit. Do it. Anyways, if you like me, can't get enough of Tim's beautiful Appalachian voice. He's voice acted on such podcasts as The Way We Haunt Now, Tunnels, Haunted Hell, House of Horrors, and Horror Shop Radio. He is also my favorite Pokemon trainer on Late Starters. So there you go. And if you think our episode art is hella cute, that's because it is. It was created by KCD, who writes and illustrates a webcomic called Beside You, which you can read for free at BesideYouComic.com. May the nuts ever stick to your roof. Hold on. You didn't really think we were going to let someone as cool as Steph come here and talk about a story that she wrote and then not share it with you, did you? Uh, of course we are. And our own Anonymous Alex is going to read it for you. A Moment Settled by Stephanie Craniola The silence was the end, and it was the beginning. Through the war, I had prayed for quiet, needing to mute the cacophony of explosives detonating from every direction. The aggressive buzzing of the generators trying to feed us the last electric light we might ever see. The screams of panic. The audible approach of death. When the bombs stopped, the lights quit. And the screams died. The emptiness in the air around me signaled the end of the war, but only the beginning of my journey. It had been almost six months of silence. The year-long event calendar spanning one of the lobby walls told me that today the library was supposed to host a musical guest named Captain Alphabet, a fun and engaging sing-along, perfect for children ages two through five. I went over and crossed out yesterday's preview of the latest Friday night film flashback, Fast and Furious. Glad I would be able to do the same to Captain Alphabet's face when I woke up the next day. The events, meant to provide respite from the war outside, had been long abandoned once the first missiles hit the center of our town. I started walking towards the reading room that I had claimed as my workshop and wondered what Captain Alphabet might be up to. If he was still alive, was he still making music? Could he maintain the plastic grin of show business if he had no one to show it to? My senses snapped to focus as soon as I cleared the maze of the stacks. Something was off. The room opened up to three-story ceilings, with cool autumn sunlight streaking through the windows that hadn't been blown in. Usually there was a palpable stillness hovering over the makeshift barricade I had created with heavy wooden tables and tall metallic shelves, but I could feel some energy breaking through that haze. Pausing my footsteps to tune my ears into the usually silent room, I could make out a wheezing breath, marking a low but steady rhythm. It was not strange for people to wander into the library looking for food or supplies. The towering stone architectural masterpiece had survived the fires and acted as a base camp during the height of the war. There was a mass exodus when we received word that the capital had finally opened the underground bunkers to civilians and would be sending tanks to collect any survivors. But I could not leave my work, and I knew there were others like me, hesitant to leave their homes. My body was on fire with the thought that I hadn't heard the new visitor enter. I was internally screaming at myself for letting my guard down and hoped that they hadn't gotten too close to the only thing in the world that mattered to me. Crouching down and snaking my way through the gap in the barricade, I silently jumped to my feet on the other side. 
A short gasp escaped my lips when I saw that it was not a hungry refugee who had wandered into my den, but the scraggliest-looking pug I had ever seen. He had found his way into a beam of sunlight, and his patchy black hair rose and fell in grunting sleep. For all my attempts to not disturb him, he perked his head up and let out a low growl as I got closer. Dropping to my knees, I stopped approaching and held my hand out for him to come to me. It took a second of us staring at each other, his sad and lonely brown eyes searching mine, for him to start moving tentatively towards me. I held my hand out still, but flinched a bit as his cool, wet nose hit my skin. After a few moments of tense assessment, he let out three quick barks and proceeded to prance around me with a bright new energy, coming to rest at my knees and rolling over onto his back expectantly. The sharpness of his barks stunned the stone walls of the library and echoed with unfamiliarity through the room. For so long, the only sounds had been the clattering of tools and frequent mutterings of expletives from me. I rubbed my new pet's belly, and his tongue lolled to the side lazily, showing a mouth from which several teeth were missing. I suppose I should give you a name, huh? His droopy eyes were glowing with a new brightness, and I scratched behind his ears, scrunching up the folds of his face. What about Raskolnikov? He rolled up onto his feet, sitting and panting. I could call you Rascal for short. The dog stopped panting, and his already squished nose seemed to wrinkle up even more. Okay, we don't like that one. I laid down on my stomach, clasping my hands under my chin. I studied him more closely as he tried to mimic my pose. He stretched his paws out awkwardly and tried to lay flat, but his stubby legs gave out from under him and he tipped over. Perfect, I said laughing, as he struggled back up to his feet. Let's call you Pierre. His black eyebrows wrinkled all the way back into his forehead, and he opened his mouth in what looked like a smile. I'll take that as a yes. You're round and goofy, and a little sad, just like Pierre. Now, let's get you some water and maybe even some treats. What do you think? I stood up. Pierre stood up, and I made my way out of my workspace towards the storeroom, Pierre trotting along behind me. Some people had spent the war fighting, some hiding, some fleeing. I spent it reading. My father, a renowned astrophysicist, was recruited by the Resistance, and he dropped me off at the base where he thought I would be safest. As a 13-year-old girl, there wasn't much for me to do besides get told constantly that I was in the way. So I retreated into the stacks, and as the war raged on, devoured every book I could. My favorite books by far were the Russian classics. The desolation of their situation and the constant prevalence of death, destruction, and defeat hovering above them was so echoed in the world around me. But through the misery, there was always a glimmer of goodness and kindness. In the darkest of times, characters found time to love and to live for whatever future would be waiting for them, and I rooted myself into that feeling. I knew it was a loss of that sense of hope that had led me to the power war in the first place. The years preceding it showed a steadily increasing amount of mistrust and misunderstanding. I also knew that I could fix it, and I was so close to being ready. In the pantry, I grabbed a box of cereal, the last jar of peanut butter, a bowl and two bottles of water, and headed back to my workshop. Pierre stayed alongside me, his eyes never leaving the food in my arms. Back inside my protective circle, I poured some of the cereal onto the floor and water into the bowl. Pierre gobbled it up hungrily, eyes raised for more as soon as he finished. We sat for a while, both sharing the same snacks, before I opened the peanut butter. It was a rare treat, but it was a special day. Pierre followed me as I moved around my project, 
frowning at screws that needed to be tightened and wires that needed to be tucked in. Besides some small adjustments, the mainframe was ready. I sat down at my work table, Pierre licking at my feet, and pushed aside books by Stephen Hawking, H.G. Wells, and John Steinbeck to clear space for the mini-model of my machine. A small metal ball, a memory of winter holidays long ignored, stood fixed to a disc. A tiny hatch was hanging open, showing a single light bulb resting inside of it, waiting to be activated. An ant farm sat at the opposite edge of the table, and after a few attempts at poking and prodding one of the fatter ones with a stick, I nudged it into the small opening of the ball fixing the metal top back on securely. Tiny tubes spun up and around the orb, a spider web of intersecting and connecting tunnels. Into the base of each, I added a small magnet and began spinning the tubes one by one, kick-starting the rotation of each. As they sped towards and away from each other, the machine began to hum with electricity. Wires connected to the ball led to a box that began to glow, the tiny lights inside of it beaming behind a set of numbers. I entered the date, 06-16-2049. The time, four hours ahead, 1930. And the coordinates just a few fractions of a degree in front of where it currently rested. 42.349396 by negative 71.078369. The magnets moved faster and faster and the noise grew louder, and Pierre placed his paws upon the seat of my chair, interested. I patted his head reassuringly and stared intently at the metal ball. Once the magnets were close to the right speed, I flipped a switch on the box and instantly the light inside the ornament flared, making a thin metal glow. In moments, the ball was shaking with the intensity of the magnets and the pulsing energy of the light. A static blue aura grew in front of the machine and the metal slowly shrunk away from the maze of energy until suddenly it made a small popping noise and the ball disappeared sucked into the blue light. The magnets slowed, the pitch of the hum lowered, the light in the box dimmed, and I waited. I ate some more peanut butter, fixed all the loose screws and wires on the main unit, adjusted its settings to match the model, and played with Pierre. But all afternoon I kept glancing back at the table where the empty globe of tubes sat. Finally, as the sun fell below the bottom of all the tall windows, exactly four hours after I had set the machine in action, There was a flash of blue light, and the ornament dropped from thin air onto the opposite side of the table. I jumped up and clapped my hands together in joy. I scooped up the ball, examining for any cracks or marks on its surface, but there were none. Excitedly, I loosened the clasp on the hatch and shook the contents under the table. The ant fell out, not moving, and I grimaced, fearing that I had still not been successful. A quick poke with the side of my pinky stirred him back to life, though and he began frantically crawling around the table, searching for the safety of his farm. I could not help but scream in delight as I watched him scuttle back quickly to his friends. Pretty good, right, Pierre? Pierre looked up at me and the ball in my hand, watching it with intense focus, hoping I would throw it for him. It had been four years since I first picked up the time machine and became enamored with the idea of building one of my own. I dove headfirst into my father's world of science, branching into fictional stories to round out the textbooks he had always encouraged me to read. He had always told me the secret to time travel was out there, but in order to find it, he needed time. Time, I realized as soon as I finished the book, was the one resource I had in abundance. Initially, my fantasy was just to hug my father one last time before he was taken away from me, but as the idea became more concrete and the possibility more real, 
I began searching for a point in time that could help stem the river of destruction flowing through the world. In just the last year, I had constructed a working model, but it could only jump split seconds in time. I added more paths for the magnets, and suddenly, the trips were longer and could move in distance, but the metal would come back cracked or melted. I refocused the energy to channel back through multiple points on the ball instead of just one, and finally it could make short trips across the table in one piece. Only months later did I start adding the ants, but that afternoon had been the very first time one had returned alive. As soon as I had achieved slight success on the model, I set to work on the actual machine. I used scraps of whatever I could find to piece together a metallic orb big enough for me to sit in. In their panic and shifted priorities, everyone else at the base wrote me off as delusional and left me to myself. Some of them begged me to abandon my project when the rescue tanks came, but I would not leave, and they did not care enough to push further. Four hours in a still-breathing ant had been the longest successful trip yet for the model, and a wave of excitement was consuming me. I needed to be sure, though, since the trip I was destined to make would span many years, and an ant is no substitute for a human. I knew I would only get one try, so everything had to be perfect. It was only recently that I had decided on my destination. Inspiration struck after a long, frustrating day working. I was reading when it hit me. A moment so brutal, yet so immortalized. A moment that every teenager in the country had been conditioned into accepting. It had to be the answer. If I could stop that one act of desperation, that one moment where hope disappears completely, from having reached so many millions of people, maybe I could shift the pattern of violence the world had spun into. As soon as the sun came back up, I vowed to test the main machine. I had been putting it off for so long, but the time had finally come. The comfort of new success and new companionship soothed me into the most restful sleep I had gotten in a long time. But that comfort and the silence of the world to which I had become accustomed was shattered when a scream pierced the night. I bolted up from the chair I was in, waking Pierre from his slumber in my lap. I heard another distant scream, and then a stifled yelp, and I could hear the groaning of the gravel on the dried, deserted roads underneath heavy machines. Men began shouting, and I ran to the window just in time to see the first bomb hit the high school down the street. Before the base was abandoned, we had heard of raids like this happening across the country. The new militia would target centers of refugees and food stores, trying to smoke out any surviving communities. As soon as I saw the high school targeted, a typical building for a town base, I knew I would only have moments before they aimed their crossbeams at the library, too. The attackers were rolling closer and men were running down the street, knocking down doors to every building as they moved. I let panic consume me for a moment before Pierre let out a yelp. I hadn't noticed that I was holding on to him so tightly, squeezing harder and harder as if it were a stuffed animal in my arms, and I relaxed my grip at his cry of pain. I took one last look outside the window. The tank was still far down the street, and it was moving slowly, but I needed to act fast. I looked at my time machine, glowing with a reflection of the tank's lights, calling me to jump aboard. Without a second thought, I opened the door and placed Pierre inside, turning to the stack of giant magnets sitting beside it. One by one, I heaved each magnet into the base of each tube and started spinning them, reaching up on my tiptoes to pull the rings down with the full weight of my body. As the tube started spinning faster and faster, I leapt inside. I sat down in the metal folding chair anchored into the floor and swung the door shut, latching it from the inside. I looked at the piece of paper I had taped next to the clock on the makeshift dashboard. On it were three lines of writing. 05, 06, 1937. 12 o'clock. 
36.677738 by negative 121.655502. Pierre, sitting at my feet, growled as the pitch of the magnets outside grew higher and higher. I entered the numbers into the control panel and could feel the heat building. The metal around me started to groan as it vibrated. I said the only parts of a prayer that I could remember and flipped the switch. The light inside the machine burst to life and Pierre jumped into my lap, burying his head into the folds of my sweater. I held on to him and closed my eyes, waiting for movement or death. I could feel the space around me bear down as it compressed, willing me to shrink with it. My ears rang and popped and Pierre whined, and just as it was becoming too much to bear, the pressure released in an explosion of air. I felt completely weightless for a fraction of a second, then the machine hit the ground and started rolling. I clung to Pierre with one hand and the chair with the other, but still I was tossed from the seat and the last thing I remembered was an intense pain as my head hit the ceiling. Wetness on my arm woke me up. Slowly I opened my eyes, but sunlight was glaring back at me. I shielded my face from the sun and squinted to see Pierre move up from my arm to lick my face. I reached to pat his head with a concerted effort. Pain was searing through every part of my body. Managing to pull myself up with my back resting against what used to be the floor of the machine, I took a few deep breaths to calm the shaking in my hands. My head seemed to have stopped bleeding, though drying blood was matted through the hair at my forehead. I gingerly tested each limb, bending my knees and elbows, circling my ankles, wrists, and shoulders, and found to my surprise that I was still in one unbroken piece. I did a quick check of Pierre, too he somehow escaped the trip far less roughed up than I had. The door and part of the wall of the machine had torn off at some point, and from what I could see, I was at the bottom of a tall, rocky hill. I had no idea how successful the time and space jump had been, but I knew that I was no longer home. I reached above me and unlatched a small compartment that I had built under the dashboard. Warm steel hit my thigh as the pistol I had stored fell out. I pulled it away from Pierre as he wiggled up to sniff at the gun and tucked it into the front pocket of my sweater. Struggling a bit, I pulled myself out of the machine and peered through the sunlight to take stock of my surroundings. In front of me and spreading to my left was a wide, grassy field that looked to stretch for miles, over which the brilliant sun was beginning to set. To my right, down a long, dusty road, sat a modest cabin. I limped with soreness down the path, kicking dust up behind my bare feet, The sun, though low, was hot, and sweat was mixing with the dried blood in my hair, causing it to trickle down my cheek and drip crimson beads onto the dirt. I finally reached the door of the cabin and stood, for moments, unsure if I was ready. From what I had built up inside my mind, the fate of the world rested on the next few minutes. The weight of the gun pulled me forward, and with my eyes closed, I knocked. I listened intently as a chair scraped backwards and footsteps approached the door. They were heavy and quick, and the rhythm of my anticipatory breathing started to match. I could hear the metal grate against itself as it turned. I could hear slow breathing. Every sound seemed to be amplified through my whole body. The world moved in slow motion as the door inched open and I stood, staring at the face of the devil. Oily black hair slicked away from his pale face with a sharp mustache cutting daggers across his cheeks. His eyes were black and empty, reflecting the soul within. I had studied his face from pictures and book jackets, and for months this vision in front of me had haunted my dreams. I had made it. Without hesitation, I pushed the gun directly into the spot on his chest where his heart would have been. 
I stared into his hopeless eyes, and before he could mutter a word of surprise, I squeezed the trigger. Twice. Pierre barked at me, confused and frightened, but the sound was dampened by the sudden metallic ringing in my ears. I pushed past the body into the house. Everything was clear and cloudy at the same time. My brain was pounding through my skull. My feet did not want to carry me any further, but I saw his desk and willed myself to make it there. The desk was covered in a disarray of papers, each filled with neat rows of perfect cursive. I scanned each page, scattering them aside until I found the one I wanted, the one that had no idea how important its secrets were to the future of human survival. I fell into the chair and read the words that had restored my hope when they had taken it away from so many others. And George raised the gun and steadied it, and he brought the muzzle of it close to the back of Lenny's head. The hand shook violently, but his face set and his hand steadied. He pulled the trigger. Of mice and men. A thin cigarette was still smoking, resting on an ashtray, and I held the glowing tip to the edge of the page. As the small embers turned to flame, consuming the paper word by word, I smiled. I threw the manuscript into the stone fireplace in a corner of the cabin and took a seat in a plush winged armchair. Watching the flames burn steadily as the sun set through the windows behind me, I felt my heart and my body grow heavy. I had expected to instantly feel a celebration at my success. I thought that the future would heal and I would instinctively know it. But I waited and that knowledge did not come. I added more of the novel to the fireplace to keep it burning, and in the twilight searched through the cabin, trying to find answers for my dissatisfied soul. Digging through the desk drawers and scribbled notes in the margins of other authors' books, I paused at his copy of Le Mort d'Arthur. Flipping through the well-read pages, I stopped at a section that had been underlined with intense purpose. It was Guinevere's betrayal of Arthur, the discovery of her tryst with Lancelot. As Arthur sentenced Guinevere to death, I felt the barrel of George's gun rest on the back of Lenny's head once more. I had not been successful because I had not thought big enough. Betrayal and distrust had not started with John Steinbeck, and it would not end with him until all evil had been eradicated from the thoughts and minds of history. I still had work to do. I settled into the armchair by the fire, and Pierre hopped up onto my lap, nestling his tired head into the crook of my arm as I studied my new target. In the morning, I would retrieve my time machine and build a new workshop in the now uninhabited cabin. I would rebuild. I would try again. The dry wind of the desert swirling through the still open front door sweetly lulled me to sleep. Darkness devoured me, and in my hopeful rest was silent.